Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Page 600 in the Church Bibles, we're reading Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Our second reading can be found on page 967. Page 967 is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we remain standing, let me pray for us. Our Father, we pray that the words we've just been singing would become ever more true for every single one of us, that even in those times when we feel very weak, indeed, perhaps mostly in those times, we would be able to say, I trust in him, I trust in you. Uh, Strengthen our trust in you now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, please do sit down. Uh, let me uh, encourage you to uh, uh, dig out the, uh, the handout so you can see where we're going in the next few moments. I think you'll find that useful and uh, more, even more useful, most importantly of all, to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91 as we uh, have been looking uh, since Easter at a few Psalms. Uh, Psalm 91 is the one this morning. It's uh, page 600 if you're looking for it. Grant and Sarah were a lovely Christian couple. They both had good jobs with great career prospects. Uh, Based in London, he was a lawyer. She was a management consultant. Fit, healthy, young, in love, good-looking, and with their whole lives ahead of them, they were married on a beautiful summer's day. And after what they described as the perfect wedding day, they headed off for their honeymoon on a secluded island in the Indian Ocean. A few days into their honeymoon, Grant began to feel lethargic and generally under the weather, but they put it down to them unwinding after all the excitement and build up to their wedding day. But he continued to feel ill when they returned from holiday and after a month or two of it not going away, Grant reluctantly went to see his GP. Well, to cut a long story short, after running some tests, Grant was diagnosed with cancer and given a year at the most to live. In a moment, their world had fallen apart. Uh, Their pastor spent a lot of time with them, and as Grant got more and more poorly, the pastor carefully and lovingly helped them to prepare for his death. Understandably, Sarah couldn't come to terms with it, and when she met some people from another church who offered to pray for Grant to be healed, and who then said that God had told them that Grant would be healed if they had enough faith, Sarah began to feel that there was some hope. And not least of all, because these people that she was now speaking to turned to a number of references in the Bible, and one of them was Psalm 91 and verses 9 and 10. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. With renewed hope in her heart, Sarah told her pastor what she now believed God had promised them, that Grant would be healed. And she showed him that the promise promise was here in the Bible, in black and white. Now, while her pastor believed that God could heal and still does heal today, he wanted them to face up to the fact that God might not grant, uh, might not heal grant. The problem was, uh, Sarah saw that that kind of comment as a lack of faith. And so she and Grant distanced themselves from their pastor and the church family they knew. And they would only listen to those who'd promised them healing. And Grant died. And while I don't know exactly how he felt when he died, I do know that Sarah felt that God couldn't be trusted anymore. Because as she said, how can I trust in a God who won't keep his promises? 
And desperately, as far as I know, to this day, Sarah isn't following Jesus anymore. Now, that is the problem with this psalm. And may I say of many psalms, or maybe I should say that's the problem we have as we read this psalm. After all, there's nothing wrong with the psalm. But you'll see that if we don't read it properly, we can assume it's saying all sorts of things that it doesn't say. Out of context, verse 10 is a problem. No harm will befall you. But I've sat with people this week, members of this congregation, Christian people, who know the desperate agony of real disasters coming upon them, crashing into their lives, causing them very great harm. So as we turn to this wonderful psalm, we must ask, what is it promising and to whom? If we don't ask those questions, we may be tempted to claim all sorts of promises that God has never made. And I do use the word tempted quite deliberately. See, look again with me at verse 11 and see if it brings any any bells. It should do. Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Ring some bells. Throw yourself off this multi-storey building and you'll be fine. God's angels will protect you. They'll give you such protection that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. You won't end up a statistic. You won't end up in casualty. You won't even be grazed by the fall God has promised. So go on, throw yourself down. That's what Satan said to Jesus while Jesus was in the wilderness. We had it read for us, Matthew chapter 4. Having taken Jesus to the top of the temple, Satan said to him, throw yourself down, for it is written, and then he quoted verses 11 and 12. Now here's the thing, Satan used this psalm and these verses to tempt Jesus. He used these verses to say to Jesus, nothing can harm you if you are the son of God. And if that's how Satan tempted Jesus to read this psalm, then we can be sure he'll do the same thing on us. But Jesus' response to Satan tells us that Jesus didn't think this psalm promised that sort of short-term immediate protection from the hand of God. And so Jesus' temptation tells us that whatever this marvellous psalm is about, it's certainly not teaching that we can claim the protection of God from all harm now. Well, so much for the problem with this psalm. What is the promise of this psalm? Uh, The second point on the handout, if you're following along. It is a psalm which promises the Lord's great protection. Verses 1 and 2 are wonderful. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. As we'll see in more detail in a moment, here are promises of the personal protection of our God. The Lord will shelter his children. The covenant-keeping God will personally protect those adopted into his family. And these are words of mighty strength. The most high God, the almighty, will be my refuge and my fortress. This psalm does promise the Lord's great protection, but against what? Well, verses 3 to 8 answer that question. This is a promise of protection from the, the coming judgment, the final judgment day. The language and terms throughout these verses all refer to God's judgment. Verse 3, the foulest snare, the deadly pestilence. Verse 6, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, the plague that destroys. And perhaps most clearly of all, verse 8, the punishment of the wicked. See, verses 3 to 8 look towards the day of judgment. 
The day when the Most High God will punish those who have not acknowledged him as Lord. For you see, that's who the wicked are. And I think it is worth pausing here. The wicked in the language of the Psalms are not a particularly immoral bunch of people who inhabit planet Earth. The wicked are not just those who plant bombs and indiscriminately blow up people at the end of marathons. And the wicked are not just the cruel dictators who've blighted our world now and in the past. Now, for sure, those people are wicked and they will face God's judgment. But the wicked here in verse 8 and throughout the Psalms describe not just the particularly bad people who make the news headlines, but all those who do not follow the Lord. For you see, that is the ultimate wickedness in the universe, to turn from the ultimate goodness. Now, if you want to chase this up at home, look at Psalm 1, and you'll see that uh, Psalm 1 gives us the context uh, for the Psalms, of course, but not least of all for this word wicked and who the wicked are. You'll see it is those who've turned away from the Lord and that they will come under judgment. Now, all that as it may be, the important thing to note here in Psalm 91 is that Psalm 91 is, is promising protection from that final day of judgment. And that is the greatest protection that we can have. The greatest protection that we need. We live in a world that is a scary world. I feel it for my children. As they go off to school in the morning, I go to my study and I say my prayers and I pray for their protection. Almost every day without, without fail, I pray for their protection. The girls are now old enough to walk to school on their own. I pray for them to be kept safe from the evil predators out there who would do very bad things to young girls. I pray for all three of our children at school not to be influenced by the wrong people and not to make decisions that they'll regret for the rest of their lives. When we go on car journeys as a family, we pray that we'll be kept safe from everyone else on the road. It's a, it's a, it's a cruel world. Things happen. We've heard about it this week, haven't we? Uh, the devastating um, uh, crash of those people off to, uh, uh, to enjoy a weekend away before uh, the bride got married. I sometimes imagine how devastated I'd be if anything happened to one of my children or my wife. And I often think about those things when I meet with people who have suffered appalling tragedies and difficulties in life, death and disease and disability. As I meet with them, I wonder how they cope with it and then I think, how would I cope? And when I think of the worldwide threats, the the recession, climate change, global terrorism, dear, oh dear, we could go on and on. We live in a scary world. We are all much closer to death and tragedy than we realise. But, and I don't say this lightly, there is a fate worse than death. And that is to come under the judgment of God after death. To face God's judgment and to be cast aside for all eternity because I've ignored the most high and almighty God who created me and everything around me. And so this psalm promises the greatest promise anyone can have. A promise that we all need. A promise of protection from the final judgment. Now don't mishear me, there are other psalms that are talking all the time about God helping us through the present. It's not that he doesn't do that, it's just what this psalm is doing. In verse 3, the psalmist describes the judgment day like the fowler's snare. It's a vivid picture, a wild animal going about its business, wandering happily through the forest when, bang, 
It is caught and trapped and killed. That's how the judgment will come, with no warning and no chance to flee. And then verse 3, the the psalmist describes the judgment as the deadly pestilence. It's a reference to uh, Deuteronomy 32 and Numbers 21. I put the references on the handout. Um, The Israelites experienced in Numbers 21, do you remember when they were infested with poisonous snakes? That's how the judgment will be, with nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. And then verse 6, the psalmist describes the judgment as the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Time and again, the Bible describes um, uh, God's judgment as a day of darkness. Darkness is seen as God's judgment. Uh, Do you remember how the Lord brought the plague of darkness to the Egyptians when Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go? If you've ever experienced it, you'll know that darkness, complete and utter darkness, is a terrifying thing. I was once locked in a place that was completely dark. I won't tell you the story, it's too long. Completely dark. I could not move. Terrifying. That's how it will be at the final judgment. And verses 7 and 8 are allusions to the judgment that came upon the Egyptians as they pursued God's people in the Exodus. There is nothing worse than the final judgment to come. But this whole section, verses 3 to 8, talk of being safe on judgment day. And the way that salvation is described here is beautiful. Look at verse 3. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. When our children were younger, we used to love going to places like Graves Park Animal Farm with lots of farmyard animals and the chance to feed them and stroke them. Our children loved it. I love it. I remember on one trip how they fed the goats and stroked the guinea pigs and cuddled the rabbits, but they did not get anywhere near the little chicks. Oh, they saw them all right. But when the children went towards the chicks to pick them up and try and touch their soft little feathers, the chicks rang to their mother hen and the hen gathered the chicks under her wings and we didn't see them again. The chicks, that is, not the children. The chicks were out of sight and totally secure. That's the promise of verse 4. It's so tender and personal. And so the judgment comes. When the judgment comes, verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge. And so, verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And where the first half of verse 4 is so personal in protection, the second half of the verse is so powerful in its protection. Verse 4, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. A few years ago, we we visited uh, Warwick Castle. Um, This is uh, sounding a bit like a sort of come to Paul Williams to find out the different day trips you could do. But um, it's a great day out. Apart from the scorching hot day we enjoyed, the thing that stays with me is how thick the walls are in that castle. I can picture them in my mind's eye now. As I looked around the castle, I couldn't imagine anything in the Middle Ages ever penetrating those huge walls. To be inside that fortress, you must have felt totally secure, whatever destruction was going on around you. That's the promise in the second half of verse 4. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. And so now, verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. Yes, the judgment is coming and it is terrible, but this is a promise not to fear it. Verse five, you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. And in that context, verses 9 to 12 make sense. The promise of this psalm is salvation and protection from the judgment to come, verse 9, if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. 4 verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Well, we've looked firstly at the problem of the psalm, uh, temptation to read it wrongly. Secondly, the promise of this psalm, we've seen its salvation. And thirdly, the promise, uh, sorry, the prophecy of this psalm, and uh, we're over the page now on the handout. And the prophecy of this psalm is Satan defeated. Look at verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. See, here in part is why we can stand firm on Judgment Day because Satan has been crushed. Satan, the the lion who, do you remember in 1 Peter, it describes him as the lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. Satan, the great serpent, as described in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy, the one who wants to take people to hell with him. Indeed, way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord God promised that one born of a woman would crush Satan's head. Here in verse 13 is that great promise again. And of course, it's talking about the Lord Jesus. That is why it was so telling that as Jesus was tempted by Satan in the, in the wilderness, Satan used this very psalm to try and tempt Jesus. He used verses 11 and 12 to try and trick Jesus into jumping off the highest point in the temple. But Jesus was having none of it. Jesus knew that this prophecy, and Jesus knew that this prophecy would defeat Satan. Not by taking the easy route to stardom, but by being obedient to his father. Not by testing God, but by obediently walking to the cross. That's how Jesus crushed the serpent, by taking the judgment upon himself on the cross. Since Jesus died on the cross, so, verse three, he did all of this. He entered the fowler's snare and took the deadly pestilence. And as he died on the cross, do you remember that darkness fell at midday? That's verse six. And as Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment of the wicked, verse 8. That's why we don't need to fear the judgment, because Jesus has taken it on himself. And in the process, crushed the serpent, Satan. But only he has done that. And so only he can give me the assurance of Psalm 91. Indeed, supremely, this psalm is not about you and me, but about Jesus. He is the one who, verse verse 1, dwells in the shelter of the Most High and rests in the shadow of the Almighty like no one else ever has. He is the one who has always and forever said of the Lord, verse 2, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Jesus is the one who's gone right through the judgment described in verses 3 to 8 and has been saved from it. Jesus is the one who is being described in verses 11 to 13. This psalm is about Jesus. And so as we hear God the Father speaking in verses 14 to 16, he's speaking about Jesus, his son. Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him, I'll protect him, for for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honour him. 
With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Supremely, this is about Jesus. But here's the thing. As we put ourselves in Christ, that's the Bible language for becoming a Christian, as we put ourselves in Christ, so we become the beneficiaries of everything that is Christ's. We are adopted as sons of God. We inherit everything that is his. And so then all these promises that supremely are for Jesus become ours. And that is the point of the psalm, our fourth point, the purpose, trust in God. Very simply, Psalm 91 is an encouragement to trust the Most High God, the Almighty, the Lord, to call him my God. And so to be sure that we are safe on judgment day. I don't mind telling you the thought of death and judgment terrifies me. Terrifies me. It sometimes sweeps over me as I lay awake in the small hours of the night and it is stupefyingly terrifying. And in those moments, verses one and two are for me. And if you feel those moments, they're for you as well. As they tell me to dwell in the shelter of the most high God. And you see, I'll do that when I understand who God is. There are four wonderful names for God in these opening verses. Verse one, he is the most high There is no one higher than him. This is a name of supreme authority. If you look back to Daniel chapter 7, you'll see uh, where there are some other very powerful uh, beings in the universe. But onto the stage comes the most high God. There's no one higher than him. There's no court of appeal above him. No greater authority than him in the universe. He is the final word No one more powerful than him. So when he says you can find shelter in me at the judgment, then you can. Isn't that great? Look at the second word for God, verse 1. He is the almighty, El Shaddai, stable, immovable. Nothing can shift him. He's not going to be ousted. No spiritual coup will, will usurp him. There is no one stronger than him in the cosmos. Isn't that brilliant? The most high, the almighty, Verse 2, the third name for God, he is the Lord, Yahweh. It is the covenant name of God. It means that uh, he has made a promise to keep us. He has entered into a relationship with us. It means that he'll never let us go, never let us down, and never give us up. Yes, he is the Most High, the Almighty, but he's also the Lord, personal. So I can trust these promises. The Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and Also, verse 2, the fourth name, he is God, Elohim. And more importantly here in verse 2, he is my God, the one in whom I trust. You see, it's when it's personal to me that everything changes. I wonder if you've ever made it personal. I talk to quite a lot of people and they say, I believe in God. I don't always know what sort of God they believe in, but as we explore it, it might even be the God of the Bible they believe in. But do you trust him? Can you say he is my God? When it's personal, you'll be at rest, verse 1. That is at peace. When we personally dwell in him, well then that's the word that we have, this dwelling with him, living in him. Then we're at peace. 
So when I'm in Christ, I'm adopted as a son of God, I enjoy all the benefits that Jesus, the son of God, enjoys. And so what the father says to his son at the end of the psalm, he says to me, seven things, I'm only going to run through them, it's okay, it's not another seven long points, they're on the handout, but look, aren't they lovely? What he says to Jesus, when I'm in him, he says to me, verse 14, first point, because he loves me, I will rescue him. Verse 14, secondly, I will protect him. Third, in verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. Fourth, I will be with him. Fifth, I will deliver and honour him. Sixth, in verse 16, long life, with long life I will satisfy him. And seven, I will show him my salvation. Aren't those wonderful promises? Seven things, one for each day of the week, Monday through Sunday. Why don't you dwell on them? as you go through them this week. What a sum up. Shortly after I became a follower of the Lord Jesus, I heard a Christian say what a difference following Jesus makes. He said it like this, I'll never forget it. When I put my head on my pillow at night, I know that ultimately everything's okay. That's what this psalm is about, knowing that ultimately everything's okay. Whatever else happens in my life, and it is a scary world out there and things are going to happen to us, but ultimately I know that when the final judgment comes, when the ultimate judgment, when the ultimate moment in history happens, if I'm in Christ, everything's okay. And that does make a difference, knowing that the the, the, the future is secure. We know it makes a difference. We we do it in small ways. When we're insanely busy and stressed by all that we have to do... uh, and we look ahead and we know we've got a break coming up, we can cope. Sometimes I wonder if I can keep going with the demands of life in this job and I look ahead and think, retirement's on its way. (laughs) And it helps. That's how we live. That's how we keep going. Looking ahead to when things will be easier. Problem is, we can look forward to our next holiday and when we get back, it all begins again. And we can look forward to retirement, but when we get there, it brings another bunch of struggles. And sometimes we can look ahead, and there's no prospect of the difficulties going away, because we can look ahead to a day, and when we think, no, it's just going to get worse. And so this psalm is wonderful. Because here we can look ahead to a day when everything will be okay, really will. As we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, God says to us, There will come a day when, verse 16, you'll be satisfied, content, peaceful, at rest. There will come a day, verse 16, when you will enjoy long life, eternal life, abundant life, a life without struggles and worries. There will come a day when the Father says, verse 16, you will know my salvation. So, verse 1 Dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And verse 2, say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, for these wonderful, wonderful promises. And we ask that you'd help us to grasp 
First, who you are. Most high, almighty, the Lord, my God. And in grasping your great character and what you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, as we put our trust in you, may we have deep assurance. Deep assurance that whatever comes our way, ultimately, everything is okay in you. May we know that now. May we know it in the wee small hours of the night when we feel scared. May we know it as we look ahead, not knowing what is going to come our way. May we know it at the very last moments of our life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.